Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. Your hosts, Nick Wagner and Joshua Johnson, have been described as not blowhards. Join them as they discuss the matters at the heart of the Dynasty community. From rookie advice to trade analysis, plant your flag here. This is the Dynasty Pulse, presented by DynastyFootballWarehouse.com. in terms of playing the game. And I'm highly critical because of the way we give games away. We give them away, period. <laughs> that clip always makes me laugh. Uh, that was Bill Callahan, I think, probably in his waiting days for the Nebraska Cornhuskers after, of course, losing the Super Bowl with John Gruden's Raiders. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. With me, as always, is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Victor. Nick, what's up, buddy? Oh, not much, Josh. I couldn't help but notice during the uh, Dallas Green Bay game that uh, Dallas, somebody in the PR department, decided they'd do kind of a Steelers terrible towel thing. Only they gave out white towels to all their fans. So during the game, whenever they show the crowd, to me, as a Redskins fan that finds fault in everything Dallas does, it just looked to <laughs> me like the fans were waving the white flag of surrender. I don't know. It cracked me up during the game. How are you doing, Josh? Um, I believe they call that blanketing. I think that's a marketing term. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm doing okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, as I was just saying before we started live here, Nick, I, I was a little under the weather yesterday, kind of running a fever, so I laid in bed and watched, I think, three of the four games that were replayed on the NFL Network. So that was that was nice to get me all prepared for the podcast today. As always, we have we have an absolutely wonderful show for you today. We're going to get into a, a third-year wide receiver dilemma here in a little bit. We do want to touch on the playoff games as well, some of the other things that we like to do here on the show. Uh, we'll do a four against with uh, Kirk Cousins and then, uh, of course, a prospect watch. Talk about the best to wear number 49 in NFL history as well. Uh, but let's just uh, let's get into the games here. Uh, Nick, uh, but one note I guess I had before we started, um, I thought Wade Phillips to the Rams, where I'm really concerned about how that's going to affect some of the defensive personnel, like Aaron Donald potentially moving to the end. I don't know. That's just my speculation. Um, maybe Mark Barron moves inside. That's if he, you know, takes the 3-4 that he does so well with. I can't imagine that he won't. But I think that given what we've seen from him as a defensive coordinator in this league, that could potentially be the biggest coaching move of the offseason, don't you think? Oh, absolutely, and it does surprise me a little bit just because the Rams' defense right now, the personnel is so well-suited to a 4-3 defense, but uh, but Wade Phillips is smart enough. He's going to he's gonna play to his player's strengths, hopefully, and yeah, yeah, definitely was the best, uh, biggest coordinator hire of the, of the offseason. Uh, you got to figure probably the next uh, biggest defensive coordinator name out there is uh, former Jaguars coach Gus Bradley, who of course was uh, the Seattle defensive coordinator before going to Jacksonville. Yeah. And, uh, hey, Chip Kelly potentially interviewing for the Jacksonville OC job. So I might, to get, I might get to see my prediction of Bortles and Kelly working together after all. Um, yeah, I mean, 
obviously the Rams aren't going to pass up a good candidate considering what their personnel is. But I, I, Donald, I mean, I guess I would have to go back and watch like college tapes or, or how they, you know, set him up. But I'm not sure if he's – not that I hold anything against him. I think he's probably one of the top five players in the NFL. But is he – excuse me, is he a nose guard? Is, can, can he do that? You know, when you look at some teams too when they're in that 3-4 base, essentially do have two defensive tackles, but you look IDP-wise, one of them guys is listed as a defensive end. So we'll see how that, uh, we'll see how that uh, works out, though. I, I have written an, a linebacker stock report right now, and I touched on uh, the potential move that I see of Mark uh, Barron going inside to play with Alec Ogletree. Uh, Barron's had a couple of really good years in a row for the Rams. Um, talk about uh, stability and tackle tackle numbers if he was able to do that there for the Rams. So the interesting interesting moves there by the by the Rams. Hopefully they can get that offense going and this that division could be really competitive if Arizona bounces back. Uh let's get to the first game though, Nick. I thought Seattle came out awesome and set that tone by eating up half of the first half of excuse me, the first quarter half of the first quarter with that first opening drive. And I thought it was smart to keep Matt, Matt Ryan off the field, but obviously, you know, the the Falcons just wanted to score touchdowns, and that's, and that's ultimately what they did. They just went out and hit him in the mouth after that. What did you think about that game? Yeah, you're right. It was a smart move trying to keep that Falcons offense off the field. But, you know, as we saw, uh, you know, you can only do that for so long. Uh, Atlanta ended up winning 36-20. to 20. They didn't score the first quarter because, like you said, the – Basically, the whole half of the first quarter was the, the Seahawks drive, and then the Falcons also marched right down the field in a long, time-consuming drive uh, right afterwards. Uh, Atlanta definitely fared better than they did in Seattle during the regular season, where they lost 26-24. to 24. Uh, Seattle's defense definitely could have used Earl Thomas, as Matt Ryan threw for 338 yards and three scores. It was fun to see Devin Hester back there playing again, even though he had the one big return called back at the holding penalty. Uh, you know, great career he had uh from all accounts, that's probably the last time we'll see him on an NFL field. But great, great to see him kind of go out with a bang, so to speak. Uh, the Atlanta defense did a good job. They held Russell Wilson to 225 yards and two interceptions, plus the safety when the Seattle backup guard tripped uh, Wilson as he was uh, dropping back into the end zone. Uh, you know, another good game from Paul Richardson. I got to ask you, Josh, are you buying him for next year, or do you see him as like this year's Jeff Janis, a playoff hero who's just going to disappear come next regular season? <laughs> Um, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah that said during during that game on Twitter, this guy's had, I don't know if he's had both knees, but I think he's torn the same ACL twice, and he's still that fast. Um, I'm going to say say something about somebody a little bit later on the show that I don't think is the fastest just anymore. But, uh, you know, I had shares of Richardson almost everywhere as a rookie. I don't think I have. I think I maybe grabbed one more when Tyler Lockett went down towards the end of the season. So I, I, I maybe have one, but I I wish I would have grabbed more at this point in time because I don't, I don't think it's an enigma. I think, I think curse was brought back for, I think he's on a, what I think he's done in Seattle after this year. And, and, you know, as much as I love the guy and, and, and I know you, you're a fan and a lot of people here at DSWR as well. We'll see what Lockett, how Lockett bounces back. I believe he broke, both bones in his legs, so that that could potentially be a you know more than you know oh he'll be ready for week one type of thing. I think that could linger into into the next season, even if he's playing. 
like they saw, like we saw earlier with Lockett this year. They couldn't keep him off the field, but he was dinged up a lot this year. So maybe maybe he's maybe he's got a year of recovery ahead of him, a full year of recovery ahead of him. So we'll see. And uh, I, obviously Wilson, Russell Wilson's got a nice rapport with Richardson and kind of kind of likes likes that speed. They don't really have a, a speedster, so to speak, in that offense. So he, I think he's carved himself out a role. So I I am buying him. Long story short, there. Sorry. Uh, moving on to the next game, there, Nick. What what were you, what were your thoughts? Um, obviously, it was the Bill Belichick, Dion Lewis show, but you know they proved once again it's it's impossible to game plan for this team. I mean, and you know I was thinking about maybe you know we we talk about talk about this to no no ex, all the extents on on the podcast here about how it's impossible to know which running back's going to show up or which running back's going to be a part of that offense. And, you know, we find that frustrating as fantasy owners, but can you imagine trying to match up against this guy? <laughs> uh, I mean, who, Deion Lewis might have three touches in the game on Sunday, don't you think? Yeah, and I did read that after the game uh, that LeGarrette Blunt was sick during the week, so that may have uh, factored into uh, New England's decision to lean so heavily on Deion Lewis. But, yeah, it's it's impossible to, to try to game plan for a New England uh, running game. Um, you know, another – in other news in the game, big surprise, Brock Osweiler struggled versus the big uh, the Bill Belichick defense, going 23 of 40 with three interceptions and under 200 yards. Uh, Deion Lewis, uh, who scored via the ground, the air, and kick return, you know, I, I kind of I wondered during the game after Lewis's fumble on another kick return if that would uh, get him in the infamous Bill Belichick doghouse. Obviously, that was not the case. Uh, Tom Brady uh, wasn't perfect versus the NFL's number one defense. He actually threw two interceptions himself, but he also threw two touchdowns touchdowns while advancing to he and Bill Check's 11th AFC championship game. Um, Got to hope that uh, Chris Hogan can return next week. Uh, he's a deep threat. He's pretty much the only deep threat that offense has right now. And uh, I think he's kind of more of a factor in that offense than his statistics would suggest. Don't you think? Oh yeah. Just a, a blue collar guy that just gets the job done. And even if he's not making plays downfield, you know, he's, He's taking coverage away, and I'm sure Brady totally appreciates having having him on board and what he's brought to this team, most definitely. Uh, just just like we said, a blue collar guy coming from uh, our our buddy Jeff Lloyd's alma mater, Monmouth College. Uh, I'm sure I said that wrong, but uh, Jeff will correct me. I'm sure next time he's on. Uh, but uh, yeah, love love that guy, and he's he's a, he's a, just a great guy to have on your offense because he's just one of those guys that's fundamentally sound and just going to do what he needs to do on every play to help his team win. And it's nice to see that out of receivers, you know, when, when it's been known to have such a, a diva position. Uh, gaining the early lead on this early game Sunday here, Nick. I thought that was huge as they kind of took the Zeke factor out of the game. Now, Zeke still got his, but I think Zeke probably gets 10 more touches if Dallas has a second-half lead, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. But he, he, like you said, he did still get his 125 yards. And, uh, you know, I I personally did not have confidence that the Cowboys could go toe-to-toe with a more experienced Green Bay squad. And thankfully I was wrong because this was an absolutely fantastic game to watch. Uh, Dak Prescott over 300 yards and three scores in the almost come-from-behind victory. Uh, Zeke 125 yards, while Green Bay, of course, was led by Aaron Rodgers, as is normal, uh, 355 yards and two scores. And then Jared Cook had a great day for Green Bay, 
six catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown, including his uh, 36-yard phenomenal catch on the sideline to set up the game-winning 51-yard field goal. You know, we, we had a few blah playoff games this year so far, I'm not going to lie, but this one more than made up for those. It's absolutely a classic. Yeah, that Jared Cook catches. We're going to be seeing that for years, for years and years. That was an amazing catch. I mean, great play by the veteran, obviously, to get his feet down. But uh, you know, and the big, the big question is why did they spike the ball there? They gave it, you know, they left time for Aaron Rodgers to get down the field and and uh, and score again. And I kind of thought too, maybe. I mean, I know they were in field goal range and that people would totally hang them if they if they went for it on fourth down there. But uh, you know, if they wouldn't have done that spike, they do get an extra down. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I don't know where I'm going with that, but I just I thought it was, that that was the spike was huge, but uh, I thought maybe going for it on fourth down, probably or maybe faking it certainly would have caught uh, the Packers off guard, especially because you just needed the first out and they could have scored that go ahead touchdown. But I mean that's that's obviously neither here nor there now that the game is said and done. But I kind of thought you know going into the fourth quarter, Green Bay's up 28-13, Dallas showed a lot of heart coming back but I just don't know if there's anything is there anything more dangerous than Aaron Rodgers with the lead obviously that, that was just kind of my thought at that point in time obviously Aaron Rodgers uh doesn't play defense and the Cowboys marched back he did throw an, an interception late in that game I believe but uh Cowboys marched back to tie it but yeah just just a really fun fun game to watch um man both of those actual field goals by uh Crosby were little questionable that especially that game winner it looked like it was just could continue to go left and then it kind of just like fell like a duck out of the sky right through the uprights oh it's, i thought he missed that last one i really thought he did what do you think there nick uh i i thought he was going to miss that last one it, it definitely looked like it was hooking left but then you know snuck in there at the last moment so <laughs> yeah uh pretty Speaking of field goals, uh, the Kansas City game, uh, Kansas City and the Steelers. Uh, I just, I don't know, Ken. What do you think, Nick? Ken, after, after not scoring a touchdown in KC, can the Steelers still go to New England and win? Oh, if they don't score any touchdowns against New England, absolutely not. Um, you know, I, I do think they're going to score again in the end zone, so I think they have a chance. But, you know, I kind of wonder if uh, Ben Roethlisberger's foot or ankle injury that he suffered in the wild card win had anything to do with Pittsburgh's game plan, as Ben Roethlisberger had 31 throws, Le'Veon Bell 30 carries. You don't see that very often in the NFL these days. Uh, Bell 170 yards on those 30 carries after he gained 167 yards last week versus Miami. Uh, this one, of course, didn't have the fireworks of Dallas Green Bay, but it was a close competitive game the entire way. Uh, Pittsburgh's not known recently for their powerful defense. You know, you think of the Steelers now, you think of the big three on offense, but they did help hold Kansas City to only 61 rushing yards and 166 passing yards. Travis Kelsey, of course, was not help, happy with the uh, holding call on the two-point conversion at the end of the game, but to me, anyway, that was a pretty good call. Uh, all in all, I don't think we could have asked for two better conference championship games uh, going into next week, don't you think? Yeah, really, really good, uh, really good matchups. Um, yeah, like you said, I'm sorry. I, I saw a clip from Andy Reid saying, "Well, I'm going to have to take a further look at that. I'm not sure if that's a hold. I think somebody slipped or something, something to that effect." And that was a hold. I, I, 
even before he supposedly slips or goes to the ground, Fisher's got his arm wrapped around the front of his neck. I mean, that's what if that isn't a hold, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but uh, uh, that's a hold. And, and, hey, if Harrison Drott, you know what? He's a 38-year-old veteran. That's what, that's what, that's a veteran move. So if, if he intentionally drew that, he intentionally did that, that's fine because that's what it looked like, and it, it was a hold. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty competitive game. And I thought, you know, people are questioning Pittsburgh, excuse me, going into New England now since they excuse me, score a touchdown. I thought KC just made plays. They made plays on third down and forced them to do that. And, and ultimately, Pittsburgh took the conservative approach, uh, and that's ultimately all they had to do. So I, I, I don't think they, I don't think Pittsburgh just necessarily wanted to exert themselves. And like you said, maybe maybe the Big Ben ankle had a little bit to do with that. But KC made plays when they needed to make plays, and if all they need to do is win. A, is kick six field goals to win a game. That's that's all you need to do. I mean, that's that's plain and simple. They're not gonna. You don't have to blow people out at the playoffs. A win is a win, and it keeps you going. So, and if you lose, you're done. So that's that's. I don't know. I just I thought I would be. And obviously, New Wiggins at home. But you know, people questioning the fact that Pittsburgh couldn't get in the end zone. I guess I'm not bothered with that. They they won a t- a tough, hard nosed game. And uh, and I think that's ultimately going to help them going into New England next week, as they look to win a another another road game there to to move into the Super Bowl. So I think I think that's a good game, good game by Pittsburgh, and they didn't necessarily need to. You know, they did what they had to do to win. A win is a win, and that's 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 all that all, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So, uh, as I said earlier in the, in the top of the show, we're doing a third-year wide receiver dilemma here as we take a look at uh, a couple guys that have certainly had their fair share of injuries in uh, Kevin White, Perryman. Uh, Nick had the opportunity to choose first. He chose Brashard Perryman. So I'm going to play the clip and hopefully get some of this gunk out of my nose. So if you hear extra noise in the background, that's me. But play the clip, and Nick will go after it. both of these guys missed their rookie year with injuries. But unlike Kevin White, Brashard Perryman did actually play in all 16 games in year two. People don't realize that because he wasn't a huge factor in an offense that decided to go very veteran-heavy and feature Mike Wallace, uh, rejuvenated Dennis Pitta, and the seemingly ageless Steve Smith. But Perryman was still able to contribute nearly 500 yards on 33 receptions and three scores. White, on the other hand, was forced to the sidelines due to injury following week four and only managed 19 catches for 187 yards in those first four games and is still waiting to score his first NFL touchdown. Uh, Riding with Kevin White on your team is a journey into the great unknown. Will White, Cameron Meredith, or someone else be the wide receiver one in Chicago? 
Chicago. That's unknown. Who's going to be throwing the passes? That also is unknown. Can the coaching staff, John Fox and company, survive another down year? We don't know that either. But in Baltimore, the future seems much more certain, as it usually does for one of the NFL's most stable franchises. Steve Smith is retiring. Kamar Aiken is a free agent. Uh, Joe Flacco and John Harbaugh are solidly entrenched as the quarterback and head coach. So both due to injury history and the situation, I had no option but to side with uh, Rashard Perryman in this one. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Well, as we talked about this, same dilemma in the question and answer. Oh, and one more, one more plug for the Q and A this week. As you know, we talked earlier about how New England is impossible to game plan for. But how about New England, who is the master of game planning? I, I asked everybody to see if they could put on the New England coach shorts and see how you can stop and or slow uh, Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown. That's obviously the big thing that they're worried about this week. So that's a plug for the Q and A this week. Last week we had. This the exact same question, and, and I said not, uh, not so ironically in the same rookie draft that I took Kevin White at 1.04. I, mean, I also took Rashard Perryman at 2.04. I thought I had a tandem to contend for years to come. State had a different idea. The same team is picking 1.06 this year. They both oozed uh, the most overused word in Dynasty, potential. I would definitely choose White if Alshon Jeffrey walks in. If he and if he moves in with a trading staff, he could finally break out. Uh, Perryman still has Mike Wallace to compete with in the short term. Eventually, I think Perryman can turn into a decent player, 80-90 catch type of player. But I still think he needs some fine-tuning to convince the Ravens he's more than just a Tory Smith clone. White, I think, has all the tools to break out in 2017. And when he is peaking, I hope I can, hope I can trade him for a very large return. Both are former 2015 first-round picks, but White was the seventh overall selection and the second wide receiver taken, while Perriman was the 26th pick and the fifth wide receiver taken. So after our enormously gifted 2014 class, teams were overreacting by taking too many wide receivers in the first. So one could easily argue both have inflated values, but it's likely White still would, would have been a first-rounder anyway. Perriman was the first because four other wide receivers were selected and his unofficial and his unofficial 4.24 40 time at his pro day. Uh, obviously, I think inflated his value as well. Remember, that was a pro day, not a 40 time. Pro day at your school, which is not necessarily an official time. All his value is dependent on speed. And since the injuries, I think it's almost certainly that certain that he is not that fast anymore. Dare I say, Baltimore drank the splendid speedball Kool Aid. What is what has happened to White over the last couple of years has been very unfortunate. Let's not forget, many people compared White to Larry Fitzgerald coming out, and the, and I know those are some huge steps to to walk in and some big shoes to fill. Whatever you you know, whatever you want to say, whatever metaphor you want to use, but his talent is very real. He's a guy that has been through a lot in his life. He's try try as from trying to make it as a junior college player getting to a Division One school and ultimately becoming, becoming a, a very high draft pick. I think he knows how to work back from things like this, and I think if he could actually stay healthy, he can tur- really turn some heads in the process. Uh, by the way, the Perryman pro comparisons coming out were Dwayne Bowl, Cordero Patterson, and Troy Williamson. Nick, any rebuttal? 
Um, no rebuttal, really. I'll just say that uh, both of these guys are really good guys to take a flyer on. Uh, probably pretty low value right now compared to where they've been the rest of their career. So, yeah, um, def- I, I actually don't own any shares of either of these guys, but I wish I did. Okay. Well, maybe we could talk after the show. But, uh, the, <laughs> yeah, it's if you believe in draft pedigree, and, and I certainly believe that White – has that being that top four overall dynasty pick. Uh, it's it, He's worth a shot if you can get him for, you know, less than that. If you're picking late second, you know, maybe you can flip that pick for White. I, I think that's not a bad move. And like, like I said, I think that me and the whole city of Chicago is excited to see what this guy could do if he could stay on the field for 16 games. I think it's going to be uh, pretty impressive. Um, and I also wanted to say I thought – uh, very interesting uh, player comparisons I usually use are from uh, Mock Draftable, and I and I get some from other places too. But MockDraftable.com and one of the one of the player comparisons for Brashard Perryman was also Kevin White, and obviously vice versa. So I thought that was interesting that they that we were doing this dilemma, and they kind of consider them the same the same type of player as well. So, uh, ooh, I have a special message from. Nick Nick Rantz style, I should say. Now, this is something that we haven't done for a little while. But every now and then, I like to give my co-host, Nick, a chance to uh, I'll rant about something that's going on in the NFL um, and whatnot. And it's, it's fun because he just kind of he kind of gets, gets his uh, his five minutes of fame, so to speak, and gets, gets something off of his chest. And I think ultimately I enjoy it, and he feels better afterwards. So, Nick, what do you got for well, first off, I have to admit that I was wrong. A few years back when Washington hired a 27-year-old offensive coordinator, Sean McVay, I said 27 was too young to be an offensive coordinator. I was wrong. By all accounts, he did a great job. But, you know, I'm also going to double down and say that now at 30 years old, Sean McVay is too young to be a head coach. Uh, yes, I know the team, the Rams, have a young nucleus, a quarterback, running back, and uh, Aaron Donald, the defensive tackle, all young guys. But I, I'm guessing that every team has players that are going to be over 30. And like myself, you know, being over 30, I know if some young buck comes into my job and tries to tell me what to do, I'm probably not going to be very happy. Uh, you know, L.A.'s best player also is Todd Gurley, the running back. And you look at Washington's offense this season, they abandoned the run early and often in a lot of their games. Perhaps that was the head coach, John or uh, Gruden's fault, but, you know, McKay was still there. And if the Rams do that with Jared Goff, at quarterback, they're going to wish they still had. Mr. 7 and 9 Jeff Fisher in the house. Uh, you know, again, McVay did, by all accounts, a great job as the offensive coordinator in D.C., and I wish him well there in L.A., but still, I just think it's too young of a team from the head coach down to the roster to be a playoff team in 2017. And also, don't even get me started on the press conference with him getting a jersey. Uh, <laughs> just even feeds into the, the perception of him being too young even more. Uh, what, <laughs> did you see that? What did you think about him getting a jersey at, uh, while being named head coach? Uh, I didn't see that. Did it have his age on it? Was the number on it his age? <laughs> uh, no, the number uh, was actually 17, which is worn by a current Rams quarterback, which is also kind of a little bit of an awkward situation. I know they did 17 for the year 2017, but still. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Uh, how about the other dynamic, the other coaching change that we talked about? This they're, they're signing Wade Phillips, who's got to be, what, 70, 75 years old? I mean, this guy's. This guy could be McVeigh's father. I mean, 
potentially grandfather, you know, uh, <laughs> if I do the math wrong, I'm sorry. But uh, Wade Phillips is not not young. Um, side note, I just happened to notice the other day that Dick LeBeau is 79 years old. How about that? But anyway, uh, I'm sure Wade Phillips is pretty close to that. So, yeah, they got a lot of moving parts, and we'll see uh, – We'll see what they can do. And, hey, if, as a uh, Tavon Austin owner, if McVay can turn Austin into what uh, Jamison Crowder's done the last uh, couple of years, I'll be I'll be super psyched for that. So uh, that, we'll see. We'll see what that moves. Are you are you worried about what this what this is going to do to the Washington offense and what that's going to look like next year now that he's left next? Not too worried. I do think that it was pretty much Jay Gruden's offense and McVay was just kind of there helping him along. Um, you know, we've seen, uh, like, for example, the Seattle defense lose coordinator after coordinator after coordinator, but they just keep chugging. I'm more, more concerned uh, about the potential loss of both of the starting wide receivers, Pierre Garcon and uh, Deshaun Jackson in free agency. I think that could probably potentially have a bigger impact than losing Sean McVay. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully Doxon can step up in their in their absence if that does happen there. So, um, yeah, yeah. Good points. Good points all around there. And always fun to hear. Uh, uh, Nick Rant. Um, speaking of the Washington offense, uh, we did a little. We're doing a little for against today about Washington. Maybe Washington quarterback next year, Kirk Cousins. We'll see what uh, free agency brings. As he's kind of one of the one of the heavy names out there, but uh, uh, this is a segment that we also do. It's called for or against where we just kind of look at uh, we, one of us chooses the for side, one of us chooses the against side. And we bring some points against, against each other just to see how, how we feel about one player, kind of a one player dilemma like we did earlier. So one second. It's time for four or against. Okay, like uh, like I said, uh, I had the four side, so I will start here first. Uh, as Cousins enters free agency, he carries with him a wealth of experience. Some good, uh, some, but maybe or some bad, but maybe more maybe more than good, right, Nick? Well, maybe, but I think in fantasy terms, his value is way too high right now. He's coming off an almost 5,000-yard season. His price tag has never been higher to acquire him. So, you know, the old mantra is buy low, sell high. If you try to go out and get Kirk Cousins right now, you're you're doing the opposite of that. You're definitely buying high. Okay. Um, I think he is a traditional kind of your drop-back quarterback type of passer, and I think that's you know, considering he is entering free agency, I think that's a lot more moldable for any any system. So I think I think where if he doesn't stay in Washington, I think wherever he goes, he'll have he'll have a nice smooth transition into that offense. 
Yeah, and you're right. He does have experience in under two different coaches, but both those coaches did run West Coast offenses. So, you know, as long as he's in a West Coast scheme, I definitely agree with you. Uh, not so sure on other offenses. Uh, but he, he was over 4,900 yards last year, but he only had 25 touchdowns, and he never threw over three touchdowns in a game. Uh, he had eight games with one or fewer touchdowns, and his production really tailed off at the end of the season. Over the last five games of the regular season, he threw five touchdowns and five interceptions, and that's during crunch time. One both his team and your fantasy team needed him the most, he was pretty much meh. He only had one 300-yard game in those five (laughs) outings as well. Uh, One final thought on the yardage totals. His yards per attempt only rose by 0.4 yards, from 7.7 to 8.1. His bump in yardage from last year to this year pretty much came from volume. He threw over 60 passes more than he did in in 2015. Uh, 606 attempts. And with hopefully an improved running game, he's unlikely to hit that 600-attempt mark again, I would guess. Okay. Um, so last year, in his first full year as a starter, 2015, he actually led the league in completion percentage with 69.8%. And his 67% this season was good for eighth overall. That's better than Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford. And well above the league average. And again, Nick, that's with like what Nick said, with 606 pass attempts. It uh, it could be a rough off season though. Um, you know, like we mentioned, he already lost the offensive coordinator Sean McVay. His number one and number two wide receivers are both free agents, Deshaun Jackson and Pierre Garcon. Uh, I mean, heck, we don't even know for one hundred percent sure if Cousins is going to be back in D.C. Most likely, he will either under the long term deal or a franchise tag. But it's not a one hundred percent done deal yet, and that could end up being a distraction, especially you know, if, being as this is the second year in a row he's had to deal with this mentally. Uh, it could start to wear on him a little bit. Okay. Um, I think, though, his he threw some untimely interceptions. I uh, think it should be highly noted that his 12 interceptions came – his 12 interceptions on, like like we said, 606 pass attempts, I don't think that's necessarily a problem. Uh, consider that fact that Cam Newton threw 14 picks, threw two more interceptions on nearly 100 less passing attempts. Eli threw four more on, on – eight less pass attempts, and Philip Rivers threw 21 on 578 pass attempts compared to, again, Cousins 606. So once again, Cousins is better than the league average. Um, it, and I, you know, I know you you stressed that I hope he doesn't have to throw this, this many times, but I think kind of the height of some of his bad numbers, Nick, ultimately came because he had to throw so many times if they can you know if they can get some other things going like their like their running game and maybe a new OC will do that but uh, I think I think he's going to be okay hopefully hopefully Washington can lock him up Yeah, that's true. Uh, one thing to remember, though, uh, Kirk Cousins has only been the starter for the last two full seasons. Don't forget, he's going to be 29 years old by the time next year rolls around. He's not a young and developing quarterback like a lot of two-year starters. Uh, guys like Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, those guys can be your quarterback for the next decade or more, but not Kirk Cousins. Uh, you're probably getting five years or so of uh, quarterback 10 to 15 production. So just don't overpay. Don't think you're getting a top five guy for the next decade because that's absolutely not the, not the case here. Oh, I, I, I don't know. I think he's not necessarily a top five type of quarterback, but I think he could play another decade. I mean, 
you know, 29 in quarterback years is like 24, 25, you know, <laughs> and running back <laughs> years, I don't know. I mean, that's, I mean, we see. I mean, obviously, it's the really good guys that play deep into their thirties. Uh, but I think Cousins. I think he. I think he could stick around a little bit longer. Any Any other thoughts? Well, I think he could play into his late thirties. I'm just thinking as you know, a starting fantasy option. He probably, if he was yeah. still starting, if people are still starting him every week at Vin Fantasy at thirty six, thirty seven, thirty eight, I would be very surprised. Okay, and I did see, uh, as I stalk uh, Chris Cooley, who's got a radio show in Washington now, that Garcon pretty much expects to re-sign with Washington. So hopefully they can get that done. And he's 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 a good he's been a good target for uh, Cousins moving forward. So hopefully they can keep that that tandem. And I'm all excited about uh, Josh Doxson. Um How did this turn into a Redskins show, Nick? They didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> Oh, and we're not even uh, finished yet. Yeah, we're not even finished yet. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, let me ask you this, kind of a dynasty trade reflection. Um, prior to Colin Kaepernick starting this year for San Francisco, obviously they wanted to clear up the contract situation so they could ultimately, what I think is going to happen, cut him this offseason. But I traded, I think, a second and a fifth and Colin Kaepernick in our 16-team league for Cousins. Do you think? How do you think that trade holds up now? Was that a was that an overpay? I probably wouldn't be able to get that this off season, right? Yeah, I, I think that was a great trade on your behalf. If you needed a quarterback, definitely because Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen with him. Um, all signs are pointing to Kyle Shanahan taking the job in San Francisco, and uh, people are saying he doesn't really fit the Shanahan offense. So we have no clue what's going to happen there. And you know, the seventh, second, and a fifth round pick, and a quarterback who may or may not even be starting next year for a guy like Cousins. Yeah, I, I think he got a good deal there. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. And I, I wonder, just because of all the off-field things, and I'm not trying to vindicate myself, but with all the off, off-field things and the, you know, kneeling during the national anthem, I wonder what the market for Colin Kaepernick is going to be. And I'm not, I'm not saying anything against or for what he did. I'm just, I'm just saying that's an unwanted distraction that he could bring with him, even if he's still not doing that stuff. There's, there's always that out there, and he necessarily hasn't been a a great person, you know, and out there, you know, he, he doesn't, he's not looked upon as, as a, a solid individual. And I wonder if you're going to put a, a face to your franchise. I don't know if a lot of teams are going to uh, want to do that. Maybe the jets. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I, I will say on Colin Kaepernick's behalf, he's been doing a lot of off the field charity work lately, and hopefully that will help his image. Okay. Okay. Um, so one more question about your skins there, Nick, before we move forward. If it's not Kirk Cousins as your quarterback next year, who who do you want and who do you think it's going to be? Um, well, I, I do hope that they keep Kirk Cousins because I think he is the best available option. Uh, the question is whether the GM, Scott McLuhan, wants to you know, invest $20, 25000000 million a year in a guy like that. Uh, if we do not keep him, 
you know, maybe we can trade him away and get a, you know, top five pick, come away with a, one of the best quarterbacks in the draft. Or uh, if we go free agency style, uh, Tyrod Taylor is a name that could be out there who's got a lot of experience and could maybe help the team out. Would not, not Probably not as good of a quarterback as Cousins, but would come a lot cheaper. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We'll see. Um, I'm not sure. I still don't understand why they're running Tyrod out of town. I, I don't. I don't necessarily agree with them firing Rex Ryan either. So, but I'm not. I'm not there. I don't know how that's going on. But that was kind of a kind of a shady situation there in Buffalo. There's. I think there's a lot more going on that we, we might we might find out about a couple of years from now. But uh, yeah, I don't understand that at all. Especially after they signed him to an extension, they're going to have to. I think they're going to have to. I don't think they can cut him. I think they'll probably have to find a trade partner for Tyrod. But uh, uh, time for some prospect watch. We caught a couple exciting receivers to talk about today. Um, both from, I think it's Conference USA now. I don't know. They maybe American Association or American Athletics Conference or whatever it is. The AAC. Um, I should know that because I'm such a college football fan, but it changes so much. So uh, I asked Nick to take a look at Western Kentucky's wide receiver, Taiwan Taylor. Uh, he made uh, Bruce Feldman's freak list. So he's uh, he gets the hashtag freak tag. Um, six foot 195. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, first off, uh, Taewon Taylor is not a one-year wonder. In 2015, he had 1,400 yards and 17 scores. Uh, 2016, 1,700 yards and 17 touchdowns. Uh, he's very fast. NFL.com hinted he could possibly run a 4.3340. Others are saying more in the 4.5 range. We'll find out here at the Combine, though. Uh, he was second in the nation in receiving yards this season. He'd definitely be rated much higher if he played versus better competition. Uh, he didn't do a whole lot in the game against Alabama, but he was likely hindered by his team's uh, talent level overall. Uh, scouts are all over the place on him. I've seen late first to sixth round grades on him. So, you know, his pre-draft process will be very important starting uh, with the senior bowl if he plays in that. Uh, if you're a Mel Kuyper guy, Mel Kuyper says he's a third round guy. Uh, he's got good acceleration and agility, and he does have experience moving around in formations. He's ran routes out of the slot and as an outside receiver, which could help him see the field uh, earlier in his career than some other rookie wide receivers. Uh, he's also tough competing for contested balls. Uh, he's good at a variety of pass routes. He runs everything from screens to deep balls. He can do it all pretty much. Uh, he's got normally he has pretty good hands, but not perfect. He has dropped a few balls over his career. Uh, if he had these, this kind of production and the measurables and play it somewhere like Old Miss or USC or Texas, he'd be a first-round pick, no question. Hopefully he can be a fantasy draft day steal. I definitely think he has the opportunity to contribute at the next level. Um, obviously landing spot's huge, but yeah, I would see him as like a mid to, mid to late second right now, kind of maybe that Tajay Sharp type of uh, area where Tajay went last year. I guess he was probably later. He was probably later on than that, now that I think about it, but uh I say end of second for Taiwan. Um, I think if anybody's given a sixth round grade on this guy, it's because they want to draft somebody like that in the sixth round. I don't think he's <laughs> past, past round four personally. I think he's got too much talent. I mean, there's there's a plenty of people excited about this guy. So I I was super excited to see what you thought about him, Nick, because I I absolutely love him. I and I, I haven't watched enough film on him, but everything I have seen, I I really like what he does. Um, I took a look at La Tech, uh, Carlos 
wide receiver Carlos Henderson. Uh, 5'11", 191, so a little bit smaller than Taylor. Uh, he was tied with Western Michigan's Corey Davis for the nation lead in receiving touchdowns with 19. Uh, elite burst and wiggle, and I, I kind of view him as a, a, a better version of D- Deshaun Jackson. Um, his return abilities might be the only hindrance for him to become a wide receiver one early on. Um, he just gonna, he's going to get on the field given returns as a rookie. I know he will. And I think ultimately he could grow it, grow into a wide receiver one an NFL team, uh, given given the right situation there. Um, I think with the right guidance, he could just be a very very special player. He's he has his his upside is just enormous. Uh, he will not will not be surprised to see him vault around or two with some ridiculous combine numbers. Uh, you know, Nick said, like, Taiwan, people expect, like, the 4-3 range. I wouldn't be surprised to see this, to see Henderson clock in the low 4-4s. Four Again, with the competition level, it's a little hard to tell just watching game film, but I think uh, he could really vault himself with some good combine numbers. Um, I think he could also see a sub-seven-second three-code, which I think is huge especially on a wide receiver that they can get in in and out of areas like that and have that kind of short range speed as well, as well as that long speed. I love, I love a good 40 score and a great sub second three cone that, that, that always gets me excited about a player. Um, and 147 college receptions, Nick, 19.6 yards per catch. Uh, just a phenomenal number there. Uh, and he is also fearless. For a, for being a smaller wide receiver, he's just ferocious on contested balls, and I think he actually plays bigger than his five eleven frame is. Like he's just a, I really really like watching him play. Great at getting behind the coverage, and he'll he's not afraid to go up and just rip a ball down, even if there's a couple defenders in the area. So I, I really like Carlos Henderson. Like I said, probably he's going to have to cut his teeth as a kicker turner early on, but what what he presents. For an NFL team is could be could be very very exciting and we'll see we'll ultimately see where he goes in the NFL draft with some good combine numbers but like Taylor I see him as a, a mid to late round second second rounder and uh, mid to late second rounder excuse me in dynasty drafts at, at this point in time so have you had a chance to watch Henderson there Nick? Uh, I have not, but uh, that 19 yards per catch is definitely an impressive number. And if you're comparing him to guys like Deshaun Jackson, that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, and I think he could be better. I didn't want to say Antonio Brown because that's just not fair to anybody, especially Antonio <laughs> Brown. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, he's he's another small school guy, Central Michigan, had to return kicks for a couple of years and then, you know, got on the field as a slot guy and worked up to where he is now. I just, everything that Henderson does, and he is, he could essentially be construed as a one-year wonder, but he was, you know, because he was stuck behind some players uh, and stuck behind an awesome, you know, this this team was, last year was built around Kenneth Dixon, who's the running back for Baltimore, the Baltimore Ravens, probably going to be their RB1 next year. That team was built around Dixon last year, so they didn't they didn't become the throwing juggernaut that they are this year until Henderson was able to kind of kind of spread his wings. Um, but you know, we even even a guy like Odell Beckham 
didn't blow blow anybody away in college, had one really solid year and got drafted high. You know? And I don't think – I'm not saying Henderson's going to be, you know, a 1.1 pick here in the next couple of years, but there there's just something there. You see – you see it in his movements. You see it in, after he after he catches the ball after the catch. You know, just the anticipation and, and the footwork, and he he sets people up and to miss and def- defensively. It just I I really like what he brings to the table. So he's I'm really excited to see where he goes. You know, maybe maybe my Oakland Raiders decide Seth Roberts isn't the key and they want to they want a true burner in the slot. And that I would love to see uh love to see Henderson there. So. But like I said, landing spots huge and combine huge, really huge for both of these guys coming from the from a non-power five conference. So, um, uh, to keep the prospect thing going, I don't know if if, if you read DFW Daily, we did get up. Uh, I got up uh, a prospect scout rookie rookie profile prospect profile on a North Carolina running back. Elijah Hood. If you want to check that out, it's up on the site now. I mean, we also did a quarterback stock report by Brian Hawks too. He got that up, and we'll be doing the rest of the offensive positions and defensive positions. We have a DL report coming out tomorrow. So make sure you check that out. As well as, uh, I'm sure Brian uh, Brian Sweet will be giving us some daily knowledge either Friday or Saturday this week as well. So make sure you check that out. Uh, time for best number forty nine, Nick. What? Not a again, not a. That's a great number, um, and I and I am really excited about. No offense to uh, defensive backs, because I love me some defensive backs, but uh, I'm a little excited to move on into the 50s, as we've we've done this, you know, now from zero to, or double zero up to 49. Now we're going to try to get into some different types of players, some offensive linemen. Uh, there'll be probably some good debates there, some some linebackers and whatnot. So I'm excited to, excited to move forward. But let's what, let's talk about the number 49 first, as we before we go ahead of ourselves. What do you got for us, Nick? Well, like you said, it's another short list, but some very quality names, starting with cornerback Eric Barnes, who was a rookie in 1958 with Chicago, then in year four moved to the New York Giants, where he went to four of his six Pro Bowls. Then after that, he had a four-year stint. Uh, after that four-year stint, he went to Cleveland for his final seven years. Uh, he had his best year in 1961, where he had seven interceptions, two of those returned for touchdowns, and he even caught two passes on offense for 71 yards and a score that year. Uh, now, a guy I remember quite well from growing up in Broncos country in the 80s, is Dennis Smith, the six-time Pro Bowler who manned safety positions for Denver from 1981 through 1994. 30 career interceptions and over 1,100 tackles. You know, you and I talk sometimes about Steve Atwater from, uh, and how Atwater should definitely be in the Hall of Fame, but I forgot what a great situation that uh, Steve Atwater walked into in Denver, getting to learn and play alongside a player as accomplished as Dennis Smith. Uh, last week, we gave the best number 48 to a fullback, Daryl Johnston, and while it won't be back-to-back fullbacks, I have to mention and former Kansas City, Minnesota, and New York Jet fullback Tony Richardson, who blocked for, among others, Chris Holmes, Larry Johnson, and Adrian Peterson, uh, going to three Pro Bowls in his 16, 16-year career that spanned from 1995 through 2010. Now, for our top number 49 of all time, let's go back to 1962. Not that long ago, it's less than 20 years before I was born. My parents were alive back then, but it was a very different time. For example, up until Bobby Mitchell was traded from Cleveland to Washington in 1962, the Redskins had been a segregated team due to the fact that then-team owner George Preston Marshall was a notorious racist. 1962, 
Nearly 100 years after slavery was abolished, we still had an NFL team in our nation's capital refusing to employ African Americans. I think sometimes we forget how horrible certain aspects of our collective past as a nation have been. And for his contribution on that front alone, I, especially as a Redskins fan, would give him the award. But Bobby Mitchell was a Hall of Famer on the field as well. As a halfback and flanker for Cleveland and Washington, he was a four-time Pro Bowler. He led the NFL in receiving yards in 1962 and 1963. Uh, he was a 1983 Hall of Fame inductee. He had over 14,000 combined yards when he retired, and that was good for second of all time when he retired. Uh, his 91 touchdowns is still good for 26th of all time. As a football fan, as a Redskins fan, and more importantly as a human being, I have to salute Bobby Mitchell, the best number 49 of all time. Uh, yeah, echoing kind of on your statements there. Uh, he was such a versatile player, and what I what I found interesting about uh, Bobby Mitchell was after four years at running back for Cleveland, where he gained at least 500 yards in each of the seasons. He went to Washington and led the league in receptions and receiving yards in 1962 with uh, 72 receptions and 1,384 receiving yards. And 62, that's, that's pretty amazing when they consider the, the pass was, is, certainly wasn't what it was back then. So after being a running back for four years, went to Washington and led the league in receptions and receiving yards. And then in 1963, he led the league in receiving yards again. Uh, and then he went on to post at least post 800, 800 receiving yards in each of the – at least 800 receiving yards in each of the next four seasons. So after becoming a running back, he went, he went and changed positions and was a league leader. That's, that's pretty amazing for somebody to do that mid-career. Um, yeah, Dennis Smith, you know, had five 100-plus tackle seasons, and like Nick said, as much as we praise Steve Atwater, we got to we got to give credit to his mentor because without Dennis Smith, Atwater is probably not the, the game-changing player he was. Um, and of course, Smith also had that magic number of 30 interceptions, which I think I think could probably get you in the Hall of Fame. That's just my my opinion. Uh, Larry Woodruff, uh, former six-round pick of the. Steelers, uh, 1979, recorded 37 career interceptions. And what I thought was interesting about him is he had at least three interceptions every single year from 1982 to 1990. I thought that was was pretty impressive to to have at least three for nine straight NFL seasons. Um, And, of course, I got to do the least. Uh, And I do want to stress to people, I do have a criteria on this. I don't just pull a name out of a hat. My criteria is you have to actually appear in an NFL game. And not done much. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's plenty of people listed to of to to wear this that have not appeared in an NFL game. Plenty of people now that are like on practice squads or whatnot. Uh, but uh, so it actually took me this week. It took me a little while to find it because, you know, well the first guy that popped up was a guy named Xavier Woods who actually had like almost 50 tackles for the Patriots. At, at one point in time, so I that's a, I could give it to him. So I decided to give it to. Uh, the least important number 49 to Clarence Williams, 6'2", 240-pound H-back out of Washington State, uh, was seventh-round draft choice of the Denver Broncos in 1993. He was eventually cut by Denver and then signed with Cleveland, where he appeared in seven games seen six targets, and he caught one of those targets for 14 yards. So there you go. Clarence Williams the third. His father played uh, 
played in the NFL as well. So uh, there you go, the least number, important number 49 of all time. So like I said, next week we'll move on to into the 50s, which will be certainly be finally looking at a different player, and I think we'll be talking about a couple Bears linebackers in these next couple weeks. Uh, but speaking of the Bears, Mr. Chuck Podetsky is on the phone, our, our resident Bears fan and ATS odd man. Chuck, are you there? Hey, you guys. How's it going? Good. <clears throat> I am here, and uh, have you done 51 yet for Dick Butkus? No, we're gonna, we'll are gonna. we be there in a couple weeks. <laughs> uh, when you reach 50. 87. When you reach 87, it's Ed Obradovich, by the way. Um, yes, yeah, 50 is Mike Singletary. Yes. Well, what's up, guys? We all had uh, we all had weeks that were uh, were not bad, but not great. Yep. You ready? Are you ready for the results? Yes. Give it to us. All right. Um, Nick was the worst of it, but he still wasn't bad. He was four and four for the weekend. Uh, getting uh, both ends right on the Houston game. He had New England and the overs. And uh, Nick had Green Bay and the over also. So he, uh, in the other games, he, he kind of drew a blank. Um, Josh, you and I are both 5-3, and three, believe it or not. So 5 out of 8 is a winning percentage here in Las Vegas. All right. Take it. All right. Well, any uh, impressions from uh, from the first weekend, Josh, Nick? Uh, we we kind of talked about the top of the show, but uh, we'll see. Uh, um, I think uh, Pittsburgh comes out of this game stronger than people think without outscoring the touchdown. Um, um, they can, you know, and New England's got a tough task as they try to stop. A full strength Pittsburgh, maybe maybe Ben Big Ben's not a hundred percent, but they still got Le'Veon and uh, Antonio Brown, so that's something I'm looking forward to. And um, yeah, I was good, really impressed by Atlanta. A good point was made uh, by a guy I was listening to this morning, and uh, he said that you know who knows what Pittsburgh does against New England because. You know they're they're playing against Kansas City, who doesn't have a really really explosive offense. So for Pittsburgh, it was acceptable to settle for field goals, and I think they wanted to make points yeah. every time they went down the field. Um, so you may see a different mindset uh, for the Steelers this week. But uh, let's delve right into them, okay? Since we're starting to talk about them anyway, you ready, Josh? Next? Sure. Sure. Good. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, the first game is the uh, NFC game. That is in Atlanta, the last game. Does it does it seem strange that uh, some teams can't get new stadiums, but it seems like the Georgia Dome just opened and now they're getting another new stadium? <laughs> yeah. I, how how long has that been open? I don't know. It seems it seems like they just had the first game in there, and it was brand new. I don't know what you know. What's wrong with the Georgia Dome? You know, that's what that's what I want to ask. Anyway, that's uh, kind of uh, secondary to what we're talking about here today. But anyway, in the last game in the Georgia Dome, Green Bay Packers at Atlanta in the NFC Championship game, the Falcons are favored by five. The total on the game is sixty-one. 
Jeez, that went up. I said to one of one of my friends after Green Bay won that first game, I said the over under's got to be like fifty nine, right? When when they when those two teams had sixty one, that is impressive for an NFL game. Um, yeah, well, I, I have an interesting no. uh, little fact about that, Josh. The last time the uh, you see you see these over unders all the time on college games, but the last time an NFL over under was over sixty was on October twenty ninth of two thousand. It'll, it was the Rams against San Francisco. Remember the greatest show on turf there? Mm-hmm. Uh, the over-under in that game was 62, but it ended up uh, going under the total at 59. Wow. All this over-under total made, made me forget the uh, – what was the line? I don't know. Uh <laughs> Oh, the oh the uh, the line on the game. I thought you meant a line I was yeah. referring to. Uh, Atlanta is no. minus five on this one. Um, so it's been uh, what seventeen years since the NFL has had a, another line over sixty points, and it's in, and it's in a and it's in a playoff game too. Wow. Okay. Well, um, gory at home. The Georgia Dome opened in nineteen ninety two. So you're right; it hasn't been around that long. Uh, but uh, wow, I. I was super impressed by Atlanta. I, I thought I didn't think they could hold up against Seattle. I really thought Seattle was going to go in there and win that game. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ride Atlanta. I'm gonna go against the the red hot Aaron Rodgers who who really just puts puts it all on his back. Uh, I think Atlanta has a as a young fresh enough defense to maybe not know any better in terms of like you know maybe they'll just they'll just do what they need to do to win, and they're not going to be, you know, res- you know respecting what, what Rogers does. Maybe they just go out there and make, and make enough plays. So uh, I'll, I'll take Atlanta, Nick, and I'll take the uh, I'll take the under. Why not? That just seems so high for an NFL game. I, w- I wanted it to be that high, but I, I just can't take that. So I'll take Atlanta in the under. Nick, what do you think? Well, like you, Josh, I definitely came away impressed by Atlanta last week. But if you're going to give me five points and uh, the more experienced playoff unit in Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, as hot as he's playing and the whole Packers team is playing, yeah, I I believe this is going to be like a last-second field goal type of game. I think this one's going to be really close and down to the wire. And so with a five-point spread, I have no choice but to go with Green Bay. And I I also have to take the under. Like Chuck said, 17 years since uh, the NFL had an over-under that's this high. Uh, that's kind of a no-brainer to me to go with the under. Yeah, I uh, I have a hard time. I mean, first of all, I I may put something on Green Bay on the money line because I've got a win ticket on Atlanta for the Super Bowl. So you know, just a little hedge there. But I have a hard time taking the Packers. Uh, well, no, I, I don't have a hard time taking the Packers. It, it, it would it would be easy to take the Packers because they're so hot and uh, and they're playing well and they've got Aaron Rodgers. But in the game that's supposed to be this high scoring, um, you know, I mean, Atlanta could, you know, it, it could be close going into the last five minutes of the third quarter, and Atlanta gets a gets a, a touchdown and then a pick six. Um, it's just kind of a wild and woolly game. So, what I decide I'm going to do on this game is I'm going to take the team that I think is going to win, and that's Atlanta, and then just hope they cover the point spread. And it, it's no reflection on the Packers or anything. I just uh, I think Atlanta's going to win. And I just go ahead, you know, pick the winner and, and hope that it covers the point spread. Um, Atlanta has a good running game. And 
the first game between these two, they scored 65 points. So what happens there? Uh, you know, on a rematch, if it would have been a low-scoring game, you would have thought, well, they figured out each other's defenses and they'll score more points. It was a high-scoring game. Um, I am going to uh, to say that they learned something about each other's about stopping each other. And also Atlanta has a good running game. It's it's kind of human nature, you know, when the other team has a hot quarterback like Rodgers that you try to just keep him off the field. So look for Atlanta to try to get their running game going and maybe eat up a little of the clock. And for that reason, I'll take the unders. And uh, I'm, on, I'm on your side on this one, Josh. I'm taking Atlanta and the unders. Uh, we all take we've swept the unders on this one. <laughs> that sounds kind of gross. Uh, we swept the unders on this one, and uh, and Atlanta. You and I have taken Atlanta, Josh, and Nick took Green Bay. You know that same when I was listening to the radio here, some of the uh, the, the uh, local handicappers. One guy made a good point. It's tough to bet this one under because they may be at forty at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be just hoping for nothing to happen. Like I say, I hate doing unders because you root for nothing to happen. But under 61, you can still root for something to yeah, happen. Yeah, under 61. Uh, they've got a, Come on. Got a lot of leeway there. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the AFC game. The Pittsburgh Steelers are uh, on the road to the New England Patriots. Patriots are favored by six. And the over-under on this one is uh, 10 points less, 51. And New England's favored by six. Wow. They're just begging us to bet on Pittsburgh, given, right? New England under a touchdown at home, they're just begging us. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> Like I said earlier in the show, and hopefully we're going to get some really good answers. We have some pretty knowledgeable people on our Q&A, uh, Q&A contributor list. So hopefully somebody can answer the question, but... How on earth do you stop or slow Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell when they're both healthy? I, Kansas City wasn't able to do it. I know, and this is the Belichick is the man at play, game planning. So I want to see how they're going to do it, and hopefully we get some good answers from our from our guys. I'm supposed to answer that question myself, and I and I don't really know how to even start. So maybe I'll try to take the week off of that <laughs> if we get enough answers. But uh, uh, I'm going to take Pittsburgh. And uh, I think I'm going to go over because I think this is going to be a slugfest, and I think a lot of people will probably go under just because Pittsburgh didn't score so many points last week. But I, I think Pittsburgh, I think Pittsburgh can make enough plays, and you know, like Chuck said, maybe they'll have a different game plan. Maybe they'll be a little more ballsy. Maybe Big Ben's ankle will be feeling better, and they'll and they'll be taking some shots down the field. So. Yeah, I don't know if you've already said this, but uh, Landry Jones was the quarterback the first time these two teams played, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. The season, yeah. 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 yeah, so can't glean any from anything from that. Yeah, and if you're able to actually contain Le'Veon Bell, and the thing about Bell is if you could contain him running, great, but then you have to worry about him in the passing game as well, and – they also have a pretty good wide receiver. I can't remember his name right now. Maybe Nick does, but uh, yeah, they got they got somebody to contend with downfield <laughs> and in crossing routes. So I'll take a uh, Pittsburgh and the over because I think slugfest. It's going to be fun to watch. Nick, what do you got? 
Well, uh, I can't believe I'm going to take both road teams, but I'm also going to go with Pittsburgh just because, again, I think that's too many points. I think this is going to be a really close game. Um, you know, Pittsburgh didn't score a touchdown last week against Alex Smith and uh, the the Kansas City uh, defense. But, you know, they didn't need to score a touchdown because it was against Alex Smith, whereas they're going to need – they know they're going to need to get in the end zone this game against New England. Um, I do think it's going to be somewhat of a low-scoring affair. I am going to go on the under, but I, I just uh, – six points is too much. If it was a three-point spread, I would probably go with New England, but at six points, i got to go with Pittsburgh to at least keep it close. Nick, you're going under on that one? I am going under, yes. Yeah, well, I can't believe I'm taking two unders. You're taking the uh, two road teams, and I'm taking the both unders. Uh, on this game, I – Le'Veon Bell is – I'm so happy to have him on my fantasy team, first of all. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> um, I don't – how does anybody stop him? I think Pittsburgh will, will hang in there most of the game. Um and I, I just don't see one team being six points better than the other team. And, you know, maybe maybe I'm, you know, kind of getting suckered into how New England looked last week uh, against, the, uh, against the Texans, but they kind of played down to their level. And, I, and I, I, I still, New England's wonderful, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take Pittsburgh to keep it close. It just makes sense. And uh, – Nick, or excuse me, Josh, I kind of feel the way you do. I, I kind of expect a lot of offense in this game, but I found a trend, uh, and that is that New England is, is in their sixth straight AFC championship game, and every one of those games has gone under the total. The closest one was last year where, oh no, when they played uh, the Baltimore Colts, and they ended up with 52, and the over-unders were 53. I think it was 45-7. to seven. But in that game, the Colts only scored seven points, um, and New England did all the scoring there. Uh, but anyway, they've gone under five straight times in the AFC Championship game, so I'm going to go with that trend, and I'm going to go with the unders in this game. So I've got uh, the Steelers, and I've got the unders. Okay, and I think even when New England lost, did they lose – like twenty to three, something like that, last year when they played in Denver. Oh, I mean, it was it was a really be. low low scoring game. Yeah. Let's see. Last year it was twenty twenty to eighteen, Denver, and oh. the over under was oh, you know, I I take it back. The uh, when they beat Indianapolis, the over under was fifty two and a half, and it ended up at fifty two. Now who knows what would have happened if the balls wouldn't have been underinflated. Uh, yeah. And then Denver beat New England 26 to 16, and then New England lost to Baltimore 28 to 13, and they beat Baltimore 23 to 20. So one, two, three. Oh, they've yeah. had six. Oh, this is yeah. This is the sixth straight they've been in. So um, just a history of unders there. So I'm going to go with the uh, go with the trend. <sighs> Okay, so clean sweeps on Pittsburgh. We all like Pittsburgh to to stay within six, so Pittsburgh plus six. And we all like under 61 and Green Bay at Atlanta. That's right, different. We didn't have any uh, clean sweeps last week. This week we have two of them. Mm-hmm. And two less games, no than less. So. That's right. <laughs> Well, it's either great minds uh, run along the same track, or uh, or else we're all full of it. Okay, and let's say since it's 
since it's only four games, and we need an uneven number, right, to break the tie since we're all going to go 4-0. So um, is that possible? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Somebody's going to go 4-0. Um, let's, let's all pick a quarterback. Who's going to throw the most – who's going to have the most passing yards this weekend? Nick, you're on the Wow. Um, I got to go with Aaron Rodgers just because he's the hottest. Um, and you know, you look at Matt Ryan, he's got a strong running game behind him. So they won't, might not need to lean on Ryan as much as Aaron Rodgers. Uh, same goes for big Ben in Pittsburgh. And, uh, and, you know, Tom Brady would probably be my second choice, but I, I don't think he's going to put up the numbers Rodgers will. Wow. I got, I got Matty Ice led, led the league in most of the QB, QB categories this year. Um, Two dinged up, two dinged up cornerback, two dinged up starting cornerbacks. I should say for Green Bay. I think he is going to light this defense up. I think he's going to throw, throw that ball all over the place. So yeah, I see like four, four hundred yards out of Matty Ice, maybe four fifty. Chuck, what do you think? Boy, I hate to pick. Uh, I mean, I, I, my first impression and, and the one I'm going to pick is Matt Bryant, but that kind of goes. Uh, against my under total there because I told you that I thought Hawkins <laughs> were going to run the ball a little bit more. But uh, yeah, how can you not pick uh, pick Matty Ice? Um, how do, you, what, do you have any grasp on the Atlanta defense? I mean, are, 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 can they can can anybody stop Aaron Rodgers? And can they? Uh, I think. Like I said, I think they're young, which some people might see that as a disadvantage, but they're. They're faster than a lot of people think, and I think whether you know whether you see it on film or not, especially with Jordy out of the game, I think the a lot of the Green Bay offense is predicated on speed with guys like Randall Cobb and Ty Montgomery. Kind of what they do in the little in the short areas of the field to get open. I think a lot, and I think I think they might be surprised by the speed of Atlanta, especially since. You know, there's there's some young young rookies on this team, but they're not you know they're not rookies anymore now that they have a 16 games under their belt. So I think I think they could surprise surprise Green Bay in some aspects of the game. Well, and here's another question: can, not not only can you not stop Aaron Rodgers, uh, first of all, can you stop him from getting out of the pocket? Because it seems like the Cowboys were trying to do that last game, and they they were they were making an effort to keep him from getting out of the pocket, and he still got out of the pocket. Yeah. Yeah, he's is, is so there a team creative that, with his feet. Well, I'm trying to remember a pass when he threw it when he was in the pocket. <laughs> yeah. Aren't all of his well, fabulous maybe, plays when he scrambles? Yeah, yeah, he feel like he's he's doing a figure eight in that in the backfield and just whipping it down the field, so it would be interesting to see if somebody can keep him in the pocket and see if he's as accurate just standing there as he is when he's running. <laughs> no, seriously, when I think back, I don't I I can't think of one of those fabulous plays he's ever made when he's when he's not out of the pocket. Yeah, yeah. I'll see well, unless it's when he gets him to jump off sides. <laughs> He is a master. Yeah, well, here, well, here's something. Here's something to consider, and not maybe maybe I'm breeding too much into this, but uh, now I got to check my math here. Uh, Detroit, not my math, but so 
Green Bay last three weeks have beaten Detroit. They've beaten – who did they play last week? The Giants. And they've beaten Dallas. All those teams run a 4-3 base defense. And I think Atlanta runs – also runs a 4-3. Damn it. Well, there goes – never mind. Never mind. There goes my theory. For some reason, I thought Atlanta was a 3-4 team. And I think with a 3-4 team, you get a little bit more uh, – a little more edge pressure, but uh, uh, so whatever. Forget my point. Pittsburgh well, is a three-four something... team, so if they go to the Super Bowl against Pittsburgh, look for that. <laughs> um, that's uh, something to watch for. That's something to watch for and see how you know chart how many passes Rodgers actually throws from the pocket and how many he throws from outside mm-hmm. the pocket. I wonder if there's any correlation there. Um, it, all I know is it's going to be a fun game to watch, and I cannot wait to watch it. It's just going to be – It's uh, you know, another thing we haven't talked about is the fact that these teams are back on that schedule that they had all through the season where they, where they play on Sunday and they have the whole week to prepare. Yeah, that's a good – another good point. Um, wow. So both – both Sunday games. Is there a later evening one, right? Yeah. Hang on. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, actually, I was going to say these are on Sunday, aren't they? Yeah, they're on. <laughs> I I never <laughs> even looked to see that, but I'm I'm assuming they're on Sunday. Yeah, Sunday the 22nd, and the first game is at uh, noon. That's our time. That'd be three o'clock Eastern time, and the second game is at uh, 6:40 Eastern. 340 out here in the West. And, Nick, sorry, I'm, I'm being uh, coastist. Um, <laughs> Nick, are you three or two hours behind us now? Uh, now with the daylight savings change, we are two hours behind the, the West okay. Coast. So it will be uh, 140 in the afternoon for the late game for you, right? Uh, I believe so, yes. If it's, yeah, three, if it's 340 for you, then 140 here, yep. With that game at noon, you don't have to get up so early. Yay. <laughs> okay. I'm trying to uh, render myself more useful, useful, but uh, interesting note during the Packers, when they lost four straight there in the midseason, they lost to Indianapolis, Tennessee, and Washington, and those are all 3-4 defense. So, like I said, more edge pressure from the 3-4 from the defense, the linebackers being able to – come up and set the edge as opposed to guys who are being blocked as your traditional defensive end. So that will be, I hope I'm making sense to somebody. (laughs) No, that's uh, that's something that probably, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in listening to everybody talk about the games uh, ad nauseum so far this week, and it's only Wednesday, never heard anybody bring that up, Josh. So I like that. Yeah. The only, the only other three, four teams they played this year were Jacksonville and Chicago. So, wow, that's the only three four teams they beat. So yeah, well, those three four teams that beat them weren't that good either. Maybe that's a lesson of the NFL yeah. and not play a three four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, so we really want Pittsburgh to to face if if Green Bay is going to win, we want them to play Pittsburgh. Yeah, Even that's interesting. <laughs> Well, I actually did a teaser this week, and I did the unders, and I got six points on that. So I did under 61 on the Atlanta, or under 67 
on the Atlanta game, and I think I, t- but I took the Packers on my teaser plus, uh, so I'm getting 11 with the Packers. So uh, you know, it's a lock. <laughs> yeah, I like it. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, I have no more if you, unless you do. No, that's all we got. That's all we got. Thanks for joining us, Chuck. We uh, we appreciate you being our man out there in Vegas. And I guess the next one's the Super Bowl, right? So not for two weeks. Yes, sir. Okay. Ah, uh, yeah. Talk to you guys. Yeah. Okay. Talk to you guys in a couple of right. weeks then. All right. Cool. Thank you, Chuck. Enjoy the weekend. Bye. Uh, that was uh, Chuck Podeski, our man out there in Vegas, our odd man, I should say. Uh, so. I'm gonna I'm gonna miss Chuck. We have so much fun at the end of the show. We're gonna have to find different reasons to have him come on. But uh, uh, anything else, Nick, as we plunge forward into this weekend of games championship? Weekend, uh, no, just that I agree with you. We should definitely find some uh, some questions to ask Chuck during the off season because it's always great having him on. Yes, yes. So that is all we have for you today. Uh, this has been the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Um, Come have a dilemma for next week. I'm sure I'll figure something out. Uh, we thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you stay in tune to uh, DFW a little slower during January, but we're still going to get some articles up here and there to keep uh, to keep your brains uh, entertained. Keep your brains entertained. Hey, maybe that's a new slogan. I like that. Um, so we're here to keep your brains entertained, people. Talk to you next week. Your talking points are high-end VIP lifestyle. Thank you, Gil, 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 Gil